Okay, let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, this morning as we talk about the resurrection and look at the evidence for the resurrection, Father, I can't do this justice. You have so filled the Word of God and life itself with evidence for the resurrection. Father, I pray that You would, you would take charge of this time. And Father, that You would teach us, teach us from Your Word, Father, I pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be here. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's this tremendous summary. Paul says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. So he says that this is the items by which you are saved. For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing. I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That He appeared first to Cephas, then to the twelve, After that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. So Paul goes through and he says, here it is. This is the most important thing, that Christ has risen from the dead. And He appeared, and He gives this list of people. He appeared first to Cephas, that's Peter. And He goes on. And then He says, in verse... 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. So our faith is in vain if Jesus has not risen from the dead. We are here for nothing. This is just a social organization if Christ has not risen from the dead. And then he says in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Our faith is worthless if Christ has not been raised. And what I constantly confront people with is this physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what they will concede to is a spiritual resurrection. And the Scriptures don't mean just a spiritual resurrection at all. They mean a physical resurrection. Look in in John, the Gospel according to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, there is this man named Thomas who did not believe. And it's not like he wanted to believe, but he didn't believe in the physical resurrection. The other apostles had seen it, they told him about it, and he didn't believe. In John chapter 20, verse 24, but Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Some people say, well, the disciples really wanted to believe, so they just hallucinated. Hallucinations are not shared. Hallucinations can occur, but they are never shared. 
One person has a hallucination. Another person may have a different one at a different time, but they're never shared. That's number one. Number two, this does not sound to me like someone who's dying to believe. It sounds to me someone who's like a college student. Go, Come on, I don't believe. You know, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. And in fact, if you're going to show me, it's probably some virtual 3D image. I want to put my finger into the holes in his hands and I want to put my hand in his side where they stabbed him. Then I'll know. Verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. So he calls out Thomas. Thomas is sitting there. He says, Thomas, come here. Thomas, you come here. I mean, come here. Come here. And he brings him. He says, I want you to do something. I want you to take your finger and stick it in this hole in my hand. Yes, stick it in the hole in my hand. Now, I want you to take your hand, the whole hand, your whole hand, and stick it right here in this hole in my side so you can see how big it was opened up. Put your hand into my side. Deeper, deeper. Feel around in there. Is that a 3D image? That's what he said. Thomas was like, hey, can I do that again? I just want to be sure. This is not just a spiritual resurrection. It is a physical resurrection. And you say, well, how can that occur? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It doesn't happen every day. Look in, in Luke. Luke chapter... Uh, Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 36. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and he said to them, Peace be with you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. You see that? They thought this was a spiritual resurrection. Jesus was a spirit. He wants to put this to rest. He says, Why are you troubled in your hearts and why do doubts, doubts arise? See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Just come on, line up, single file. Let's shake hands. Go ahead, touch me, see it. Next, you think this is just a spiritual resurrection? Here it is, touch me. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you, as you see I have. And then just to make doubly sure, he says, and when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still could not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he said, have you got anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. They knew Jesus loved fish. He was always eating fish. He always liked fish and bread. I mean, this was what he liked. So they asked for something to eat, and they're thinking, the man likes fish. Get him some fish. If it's really Jesus, he'll like it if it's fish. They brought him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it. Why? This is good fish. He's spitting out the bones and he's showing them. This is a physical resurrection. And if you don't believe this, remember, your faith is in vain. It's okay. You can still hang out with us, but your faith is in vain. 
And if you don't believe it, you need to begin to ask God to work on your heart. It is not just a spiritual resurrection. Turn on the slides. Alright, the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. Next slide. Alright, here's some background statements. In case you've forgotten, this is my family. That's me, that's my wife. There's my, my, my daughter, Ambreen, Sabrina, and then my sons, Josiah and Ben. Alright? I'm building something here. Jim, Shireen, Jim, and their children left the campsite and hiked up a mountain. Okay, there is a statement. Is there anything wrong with that statement? No. The answer is no. There's nothing wrong with that. We left the campsite and we hiked up a, up a mountain. Next one. Upon reaching the mountaintop, Jim saw a dragon in a lake. Alright? So that, there's a statement there. And, and so we're going to look at this. Next one. When the tourists came back to Houston from the campsite, they told others about the dragon they had seen on the mountaintop. Is it possible that they could have all seen that dragon? You know, it only says up here that Jim saw it. But I didn't say that the others didn't see it, right? So it's okay to say number three, isn't it? It may be that others had seen it too, right? The answer is yes. It's okay. Next one. Okay. Did Umbreen hike up the mountain? Did Umbreen hike up the mountain? Well, we don't know for sure. Jim, Shireen, and their children. It could have been just Sabrina, Josiah, and Ben went up there, right? Right? This is, this is just simple little high school logic, right? Did Umbreen... She may have... She may not have. We don't know. The story doesn't tell us, right? Alright, next one. Did the tours go together up the mountain? Shireen, Jim, and the children left the campsite and went up the mountain. We don't know. What normally happens is Shireen and I come separately to church. And you say, why do we do that? When we got two cars in our family, we had a lot less arguments on Sunday morning. I mean, I don't know what her problem was. I just sit in the driveway and honk the horn. What's the problem? You know, so we got set, we got we got rich enough to own two cars now, and now we come separately, and we're happy. We're both happy in the morning, and Sabrina can come later with with Shireen or whatever. All right. So as often happens, if we're walking, I'm way ahead. You know, we're in the airport. I'm way ahead. I'm looking back. Where's my wife? I'm like. So we don't know from this whether they went up that we went up to the mountain together. All we know is that we left. I mean, maybe I left at 6 a.m., maybe she left at 7 a.m. This is all we know, but it's okay to say, did the tours go up to the mountain together? We don't know. Maybe they left together, they got in a fight, they got separated, and they went up. This happens in families, you know. Next slide, next one. Did Shireen ever see the dragon? The answer is, we don't know. All we know is Jim saw a dragon. She may have. When it says the tours came back to Houston and they told the others about the dragon they had seen, it may have just been Jim and Sabrina told the others, right? Next one. Did Shireen ever tell others about the dragon? We don't know. She may have, she may not have. Alright, this, you don't have to be, you know, really intelligent to understand this kind of logic, right? This is simple, basic logic. But when it comes to the Word of God, people get all confused and they think it's all messed up. It's not. Next slide. How many dragons did Jim see while he was on the mountaintop? Well, it says he saw a dragon in a lake. Well, maybe he saw another dragon in a tree. We don't know. We just don't know. So it's okay to say these things. We don't know. All right, next, next slide. All right, some records of the resurrection that raise questions. People read the account of the resurrection and it bothers them. They say, it's all messed up. This is all a hocus pocus because you got four accounts. Muslims say there are four Bibles. 
there are not four Bibles. There are four accounts of gospel accounts. That is good. You have four different views of what happened. So you can, can compare them. Let me show you some of the things that bother people. In Matthew 28, verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. All that are mentioned are two women. It doesn't say that there weren't others. It just mentions two. Then they look at Matthew 28, verse 10. It says, Now there were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and also other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. So it mentions three women by name, plus others. Does 28.10 somehow negate 28.1? No. You say George Bush came uh, uh, to Dallas. Well, let me tell you, there's a bunch of people in George Bush's airplane. But you only mention some of them. So here we're mentioning some. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Well, whatever happened to Joanna? Well, she's probably there. This gospel account is only particularly mentioning three. Now, there were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and also other women with them. And they were telling these things. Didn't mention Salome by name. Here it mentions Salome by name. Is there a problem with that? The answer is no. It's two different accounts. They're focusing on different people. They think there's four different gospels here. They're not. You see, so I give you this story about the dragon. It's really very simple. And then you get to the Word of God and people just strip their brains out. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already rolled away from the tomb. One woman. They say, ah, here it says one, here it says two, here it says three, here it says... Oh, that's fine. All of these statements are okay. There's no incongruency here. Next, next slide. Here's another one. The angel said to the women, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, da, 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 da. Mark 16, 5 and 6. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe. And they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. Okay? So here you have an angel. Here you have a young man. The angel looks like a young man. Here you go to Luke's account. And it says, and while they were perplexed about this, behold, Two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed down with their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. There's no incongruency here either. This focuses in on one of the two angels or one of the seven angels. We don't know how many. Here it mentions two of them. Do you see what I mean? Right? I mean, you're all smart folks. I mean, you do all this, this, you know, differential equations and stuff, and you have trouble with this. Next slide. Go quickly, tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and behold, he is coming, going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they, that means the women, left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report this to the disciples. Well, then you go to Mark, and it says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they, meaning the women, said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Oh, big problem. We found an error. The Bible's all messed up. No. You've got a group of women. Some of them run. And let me tell you, you see a bunch of shining angels. What happened? They all go running back. You think they hold hands running back? They all go running back. You know, passing through trees and everything. There's one group here and another group there. One group actually ends up meeting Jesus on the way and he says, go and tell these people. This other group, another group of the women told not nothing. This can 
there's no incongruency here. You can have both of these. This group of women ends up parting, ends up splitting up into more than one group of women as they're running. One group doesn't tell, the other group tells. Next slide. Alright, so here's one of several possible initial resurrection event scenarios that corroborates with all four gospel accounts. This is according to me. I came up with this. It's right. It is right. Because it fits. It is not the only right one. There are lots of right ones that could fit. Women set out for the grave to anoint Jesus' body with spices. There are several women, including Mary Magdalene, Salome, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and one or more others. There has to be at least five, according to this way, and, and because we break up into groups. Mary proceeds faster than the other and arrives at the grave before the others arrive. And if you read the Gospel account according to Mark, according to John, you'll see why. Because she gets there, before she, she, she sees the stone rolled away, she sees Jesus' body missing. Before any angels or Jesus appears, she just runs. And she runs and she turns and she reports this to Peter and John. While Mary is off getting Peter and John, the other women arrive at the tomb. I mean, Mary was, Mary was going a bit faster. This happens in my family all the time. You sit out walking someplace together. We all leave at the car at the same time in the airport. I get to the gate 20 minutes before Shireen does. Happens all the time. While Mary is... uh, uh, All right. The other women arriving now at the tomb see the stone rolled away and angels telling them that Jesus is risen from the dead. Terrified, they flee and become scattered as they run. Next, Next slide. Sometime during the other women's, not including Mary's flight, they become divided and Jesus appears to more than one of them, but not all of them. He comforts those he appears to and tells them to tell the brethren, which they do. The other women who are fleeing and are not present at this appearance of Jesus continue to run away and out of fear tell no one about their sightings, i.e. the moved stone and the angels at the tomb. This fits with the verses we just read. While Mary and the other women are in flight from the tomb, John and Peter arrive, Mary likely running near, near them, probably behind John and Peter. And why do I say probably running behind? Because we know women run slower than men. <laughs> At least they did in that day, because they had dresses to you know, lift up or something. I guess the men also kind of had clothes too. But anyway, I'm just assuming she was running behind them. All right? Peter and John see the grave clothes, but see no angels and no Jesus. John leaves for home believing, while Peter leaves for his home in amazement. This is all from the Gospel of John, this, this, this sentence right here. Mary is left standing at the tomb without John and Peter. Mary then sees and hears angels, then sees Jesus, first thinking him to be the gardener, until he calls her name. After seeing and hearing and clinging to Jesus, she runs to tell the disciples that she's seen him. Mary's seeing of Jesus probably occurs moments before the appearance in number six, because it says Mary, he appeared to Mary first. That is one of many ways that all four of these gospel accounts can be a true story. That's the beautiful thing about this whole thing. If we were going to fake the resurrection... Okay, you can go black on that. If we were going to fake the resurrection, we would never come up with an account this way. And let me go through with you why that is. In fact, having these four accounts written the way they are actually argues strongly against this being a fabrication. Strongly against it being a fabrication. One of the reasons is that you would wait, or I would wait, a prudent amount of time before publishing the account. When you have legends, you want to start a legend, you wait some long period of time, hundreds of years, 
really, hundreds of years till you, you know, all those other people are dead now. And you start this account. This started immediately. Right after they saw the resurrection, boom, they start talking about it. The early origins of the accounts argue against this being a fallacy. We would publish our account far from the venue in which it occurred. In other words, this occurred in Jerusalem. You would never start this religion in Jerusalem if it were a fallacy. You would go far away where people aren't present. This is the way legends are started. You'd select your witnesses very carefully. In John chapter 19, in John chapter 19, there, it names specifically one particular witness. John chapter 19, verse 38. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away the body. Nicodemus, who was the first to come to him by night, also came. These two guys were on the Sanhedrin. They were one of the 71 Supreme Court people. You wouldn't choose these two guys, of all guys, as witnesses to these things because it could easily be checked. Easily. By going to these people. And then we had read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he appeared to more than, he appeared first to Cephas, that's Peter, then he appeared to the twelve. We say, well, how, how come there were twelve? Didn't Judas kill himself already? Remember they chose Matthias? And he was considered along with the twelve. Then he, he appeared to, to James. He appeared to over 500 people at one time, it says, most of whom remain till today. So when Paul is writing 1 Corinthians in like 50 A.D., 20 or so years after the death of Jesus, he says most of those 500 people still remain. In other words, he names them by name. If you're just building up a lie, you don't name by name who saw him. Then he says, and then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all the apostles. Remember, the apostles were these eyewitnesses, not just the twelve. Then he appeared to all the apostles. Then he appeared to me, Paul. So he names them by name. If you were going to fake the resurrection, you wouldn't name specifically who saw him. You are just baiting people. Say, go ahead, ask them. They are alive today. You don't believe it, ask them. This argues so strongly against a fallacy. So strongly against they're making this thing up. The other thing is that Look in Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Mark chapter 16, verse 9. It says, Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he appeared, he first appeared to Mary, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Mary Magdalene. He appeared first to Mary. This is overwhelming support that this is not Made up. Why? Because women had no legal standing in that day. None. That is like saying, and if you're offended, get over it, because I don't mean the offense, I just mean the illustration. It is like asking the family dog, is that the burglar that robbed the house? <laughs> I mean, what are you going to ask the dog? It has no legal standing. The dog can't answer. Whatever it answers, it doesn't matter. That was a woman's testimony in that day. Both to the Romans and to the Jews. It meant nothing. Why did he first, why do they record it as first appearing to Mary? 
Because that's the way it happened. Because Jesus doesn't care about your stinking rules. He appeared first to Mary. Those who are forgiven much, Jesus said, love much. Mary had been delivered of seven demons. This woman loved him a lot. He appeared first to Mary. She was the one, as they were going, was the first back to the tomb after the Sabbath to anoint his body with spices. He appeared first to Mary. Why did they report it that way? Because that's how it happened. If they were making this up, they would never say, let's say the dog saw him first. You see what I mean? Does this make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, He appeared first to Cephas, meaning Peter. Well, Paul, doesn't Paul know he appeared first to Mary? Of course he knows. But he's building a legal argument for the resurrection. Don't include Mary. It doesn't matter. What Mary saw or didn't see doesn't matter to Paul. Paul was a Jew who happened to believe in this Jesus. But that didn't change the fact for him that the woman's testimony was meaningless. Remember, the women come running back. They tell the apostles. And the apostles are like, crazy women. They don't believe them. The woman's testimony meant nothing. If they were making it up, they would never weaken it by saying he appeared first to a woman. You see what I mean? This is tremendous evidence. And it talks about how Mary being first as well in John chapter 20, verse 16. So, the whole thing of Mary being the first witness is, is so foundational to the truth that this is a true account because they report it as, they, as it happened. If we were making this up, we would surround the event with impressive supernatural uh, displays and omens. So, in other words... Nobody saw Jesus coming out of the tomb. It says there was an earthquake. An angel came and rolled away the stone. And Jesus was resurrected. Look in, in, in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Okay? So there is some revelation here that they're able to write what happened here at this particular portion. But it says the guards were there and they shook like dead men. Alright? Now, verse 11. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said... You are to say his disciples came by night and stole away while we were and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews, 
as it is to this day. Alright, so, these guards see this earthquake and this angel come and roll away the stone and the angel is like, they just freeze. It says, finally, when they got the composure, they ran. They didn't run to Pontius Pilate and say, Jesus is gone because they knew he'd have their head. Now he's, remember, he, he, he doesn't normally come to Jerusalem. He happened to be in Jerusalem for this trial. And it says that, that uh, uh, so they went to the chief priest. They're like, we've got a little problem here. You know, the grave is empty. He's gone. An angel came and rolled away the stone. They said, look, we'll give you a bunch of money. You know, you soldiers don't get much. We'll take care of you. Just say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if you tell him this, if you spread this rumor, then we'll pay you this and we'll also protect you from the governor. We'll, we'll, don't worry, we'll, we'll pay him off too. The problem with the whole thing is, if they were asleep, how do they know who took him? Right? So if they say, we were asleep, his disciples came and stole him and went away. If they were really asleep, how do they know? The whole thing is falling apart before their eyes. This is a true account. Even the very lie they try to fabricate makes no sense. Because if they were asleep, they would never know who came to take them. And if they weren't asleep, they should have stopped them because you got a few fishermen and you got this whole Roman guard there who have to pr- protect this body on their life. The other thing is, you see what I just went through up here with you was just a few different verses that caused people problems. They say, oh, see, oh, oh, there's a problem. Your Bible is all garbage. It's all garbage. Because they've stripped out their brain when they were reading this. Because the four gospel accounts do not report this exactly the same. Because if it was exactly the same, you know what that would mean? It would mean collusion. When I get two exams that are exactly the same, and I've had this many times, that are exactly the same, and I look at them and I go, and even the the molecules are even at the same angle, and there's one right answer for organic chemistry, but there's a million wrong answers, and when all the wrong answers are the same, you know what that means? Collusion. And I take it and I submit it to the Honor Council, and heads roll. Why? Because when it's the same, it speaks of collusion. You're smart folks. You're not just a bunch of stinking fishermen. And even you make it exactly the same when you cheat. You think they know better? They would have made it exactly the same. What are you writing, Mark, here? Oh, you already did this? Okay, let me write What's the exact words? These are four different accounts of the same thing. Taking different highlights from different perspectives that it's not exactly the same, speaks to its authenticity, not to its fabrication. It speaks against its fabrication. Police know this. Lawyers know this. That when you have identical testimony, there's been collusion. You take two guys. I, I, saw, I saw a crime. The, a, a guy confessed to a crime. I saw it. My pastor sat there, heard the same confession to the crime. We were both in a court, and guess what? pastor said things. I'm like, I wanted to shake the guy. What's with you, old guy? You don't remember exactly what happened. In his mind, that's, he was wrong, but he, in his mind, it was, it was right. 
exactly how it happened. And in my mind, I was right. They both agreed, but not in every little detail of order. And that were two true testimonies. The other thing, if, if I were fabricating this, I would paint myself in a very good light. Look, look at, in Mark 16.11. In Mark 16.11, you know, look at how this thing is reported. Mark 16.11 says, When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, meaning Mary, they refused to believe it. I wouldn't write this of myself. When Mary came and told the Apostle, the Apostle said, that was just as I had suspected, based on what he said. I would. You don't think people do that all the time? They do it all the time. Look in Acts chapter 22. This happens all, even in the Scriptures. They paint themselves in a nice light. In Acts chapter 22, it's a really interesting occurrence that's taken place here. In Acts chapter 22, verse 24. Acts chapter 22, verse 24. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting against him that way. And when they had stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, What? are you about to do? For this man is a Roman. And the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. And the commander answered, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, But I was actually born a citizen. Therefore, those who were about to examine him immediately let him go. And the commander also was afraid and he fa- when he found out that he was a Roman because he had put him in chains. Right? So, this commander, he was about, he put in chains a Roman citizen, was going to have him beaten. That's the fact of what happened. Look at when this commander writes the account to his commander of, of exactly what, what happened. Look, look, look at um, Acts chapter 23, verse 26. Here's the commander's letter. Claudius Lysus to the most excellent governor Felix. Greetings. When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And wanting to ascertain the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. What did he do? He wrote this in the best light. That's what I would do. I do this all the time. I don't speak about my weaknesses to everybody. A lot of you want want me to talk about all my weaknesses. I got lots of them. Ask Shireen. She can tell you, she tell you weaknesses that I don't even have. <laughs> but nobody writes of themselves these sort of things. In Luke chapter 24, 11, it says that the apostles felt it was nonsense and they would not believe that he rose from the dead. They would not believe it. You don't write of yourself in this negative light. But they wrote as it was. I would try to squelch the inquiry or investigation. I would say, you know, if you start looking around that tomb, you're going to turn into a leper and your eyes will fall out of your head. I mean, this is what you do with omens. You don't look there. Don't go there. You don't believe. Your children will die. You know, you, you put these things and every testimony of the gospel is Paul's like, here's their names. You don't believe them. Ask them. 
Peter, he stands up in the book of Acts early on. He says, we are witnesses to these things. We saw it with our own eyes. You want to see it? Where's the body? Where's the tomb? Who would steal his body? Well, if it was, if it was Jesus' enemies, they would have produced the body because these guys kept testifying that he was alive. There was no body to produce. You would never preach a message of the resurrection if you wanted to start a new religion. Why choose something so unbelievable as a resurrection? You'd never preach this. Jesus, He loved the little children. Jesus loves you all. I mean, this is what you preach. Why preach something so incredible as a resurrection if you just wanted to start a new religion? And finally, you and I, Many of us here would be willing to die for our faith based on what we believe. People do this all the time. Not just Christians. Lots of people do it. They die for what they believe to be true. These apostles were not dying for what they believed to be true. They died for what they knew to be true. In other words, if they knew it to be a lie, they wouldn't have died for it. When James is about to be killed, you don't think he'd say, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I stole the body. Let me show you where it was. It's all just a joke. <laughs> We're all friends here. Some of these apostles, the, the, the tradition has it that Peter was crucified upside down. Some of them were, 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 were flayed alive, meaning that their skin was peeled off them while they were living. You don't think that they would say, Hey, it's just a big joke. If they knew it to be untrue, nobody dies for something they know to be a lie. People die for something they believe to be true. Happens all the time. But nobody dies for something they know to be a lie. These people saw Him, stuck their hand in His side, felt Him, ate with Him after the resurrection. They knew it to be true. They knew Him to be alive. And they died for it. There is, this is the overwhelming evidence for the truth of the account of the resurrection that we have. And if that's the case, it behooves us then to do something about it. I was just on the airplane, sitting next to a guy. Turn to him. What kind of work do you do? I'm a lawyer. Sitting next to another lawyer. And do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? And they, you know, well, there was a study in the New York Times. Seventy percent of Americans believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I said, the physical resurrection? He says, yeah, I think it said that. Or in Time Magazine or something. I said, well, if you really believe that, shouldn't it impact our lives? If it's really true that Jesus, the Son of God, has come and risen from the dead, it should impact our lives. This is true. And remember, if ever you get so intellectual that you start rationalizing this thing away, your faith is in vain. There is so much evidence for the proof of the resurrection. This is the best thing to turn people to. But you know what happens? Is that idiots and buffoons will judge this word without even reading it, or they'll read one verse that they heard somebody say, and they say, oh, well, I've read the Bible, and they've stripped their brain, and they think they have problems. But they'll sit and they'll look at all these differential equations for hours studying this thing. And they won't give this thing five minutes. The truth is here, and this is what we have. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the overwhelming truth of the resurrection. How you, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, came 
and lived a life, a perfect life, and died and was buried and rose again. Thank you, Lord, for the overwhelming proof of the resurrection. Test upon test speaks of its authenticity. Father, thank you that you have hidden nothing from us, but you have shown us everything we need, every bit of evidence we need to believe in the truth of the resurrection. Father, thank you. And Lord, I pray for these young people that because of the resurrection and that truth, that this would impact their lives and they would have a message like the apostles had of the truth of the resurrection. Father, I thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. We have... um